confession. <laughs> I just wanted to get back on stage, basically. Okay, hear me now. Um, I've got a confession to make. Um, I use a product in my hair, my gorgeous thick locks that I have, and it's called Pantene, and it's the real deal because they promise that it won't happen overnight, but it will happen. And what will happen is I actually use volume-enhancing Pantene, as you can tell, and it's six years now that I've been using Pantene, and I believe, I believe in Pantene, and I believe that one day I'm going to be able to go like this. And my hair is going to go down to my back. And in six years, it's grown one centimetre. And I think I've got about another 20 hairs that have been added. So Pantene is the real deal. It really works. And you know what? If you type in the real deal onto any search engine, you'll come up with a whole three, four pages of real deal products. And without them, here comes Mason again. Oh, that's okay. Uh, with, without them, your life just won't be worth living, I promise. You know, all of these, you type that in on your search engine and you'll see the real deal. It'll range from real estates that are the real deal to shoes, to perfumes, to any conceivable product. And they all profess to be authentic, that is, uh, the real deal. They all profess to be preeminent, that is, that they are the best. They all profess to be the very, very first, that they were from the beginning. And they all profess to say that there's never, ever been a product like it and never, ever will be since. So, Pantene, I can guarantee, transforms your hair. However, tonight, we're actually going to look at a book in 1 John, in the back of your Bible, if you want to turn to it now. And I want to talk about a different product, so to speak. I want to talk about the real deal, which is a different product tonight. And this product is talked about by the author of 1 John. And the author of 1 John is actually John the disciple of Jesus. John, the disciple of Jesus, wrote the Gospel of John. He wrote 1 John, 2 John, 3 John and Revelation. He actually wrote five books of the New Testament. And you know, as young adults, how there's a great big group of you, probably a hundred of you, and yet within that big group, there's probably three or four that you really, really are very close to, that are just, you know, you share very deeply. Well, it was a bit like John with Jesus. J uh, Jesus had many followers. We know he had his disciples, but he also had many followers that followed him around everywhere. And within this group of people, there are actually three that spent even more intimate time with Jesus, Peter, James and John, the very author of this book. And in other parts of the Bible, it says that John was the disciple whom Jesus loved. And John's writing to us and he's saying, 
basically that this Jesus that I knew is the real deal and that John wants us to come to know this Jesus. So let's have a look at it. Are you got your Bible in front of you to 1 John? 1 John 1 to 4 is what we're going to read. And it says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have touched, sorry, looked at, and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it and testify to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. So John just launches straight off into this book. He gives no words of introduction, no word of greeting to anyone. This is for all of God's people everywhere. John begins with the Lord Jesus Christ. He says he is the word of life. And only John in the New Testament identifies the Lord Jesus Christ as the word. In 1 John 1, in the Gospel of John, he says, In the beginning was the word. And in Revelation, the last book of the Bible, in 19, 12 to 13, he says, And he had a name, and his name is called the Word of Life. And in this letter, John identifies Jesus by this phrase, the Word of Life. So what's the purpose of a word? Well, you and I communicate with one another using words. John is saying that Jesus Christ is God's communication to us. When you look at Jesus, you see the love of God. When you listen to Jesus, you are listening to God. So we're going to look tonight at three truths that are contained in this scripture. Three truths about the real deal of Jesus. The first truth is that Jesus Christ is real or the Christ of reality, the real deal. You know, Jesus was real, but he's real eternally, first of all. He said um, that he was from the beginning. Now, I don't really understand what that means. You know people who say, I don't accept anything I don't understand. Well, I have to tell you, I think we accept a lot of things we don't understand. For example, I personally don't understand electricity. They say that one electron touches another electron and all of that. But, but I, I don't, don't know why it happens to go one way instead of the other way. way. I don't, I don't understand electricity, electricity, but I accept it, and I certainly don't put my finger in a light bulb socket. So John says that which was from the beginning. Now, if you can understand that, I'd like to explain that to me. I don't really understand that. And what John is saying is 
from the moment of creation, Jesus Christ existed. Before all creation came into existence, Christ was. He's declaring that Jesus is God. Scriptures say, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So we believe that Jesus was the real deal, but he was real, and he was real eternally. He was from the beginning. But we also believe that he is real historically. The second thing John is saying to us from these scriptures is that Christ is real historically. So at this point, we dip into time and touch history. It says, for the life appeared, 1 John 1, 2. To appear is to be made visible. The eternal Christ who existed in eternity with the Father the invisible Christ was born, became visible and lived and moved on this earth. John, in his Gospel, in 1.14, says it this way, The Word was made flesh and he dwelt among us. Do you see what John is trying to convey? Do you see the important truth of this? You see, they didn't have televisions or DVDs back in those years, but if they did, they could have recorded the voice of the Lord Jesus Christ. You could have taken his picture, really taken it, or filmed the experiences of his life. He was a flesh and blood person. Yes, he was more than a man, but he was man. He was fully man, yet did not sin. And that is what John is trying to say. If Jesus was real, if he actually lived, he could have been perceived by our senses. That is what John says in verse 1, and he appeals to all three senses that identify a person as being real. First of all, let's look at it. He says, we have heard it. We have heard. Wow. I think that John was probably, more than any other disciple, the one that heard Jesus' voice more. That's amazing. Here is the author of this book writing to people some 80 years later after the death of Jesus Christ. And he says, I was there. I heard the voice. Have you ever wondered what Jesus' voice would have sounded like? He was with him from the beginning. He was in the inner circle and he heard the voice of Jesus. I would love to have really heard the voice of Jesus. You know, sometimes I think I hear the voice of Jesus. I pray and I get an impression, but I never really hear a loud, booming, Gail, go out and do this or go yonder. I never really hear that. I read his word and I, I feel he's speaking to me. I get impressions that I should respond, but I've never really heard the real, literal voice of Jesus Christ. Yet this man that's writing this gospel did. 
And the other more wonderful thing is that when he says, I heard him, the verb here means an action that began in times past with the effect that it still continues. John is saying, this Jesus is real. He's the real deal. I actually heard his words and they are still ringing in my ears some 80 years later. Whose voices do you hear? Whose voices do you hear? Do you hear the world's voices? Do you hear the voices of your own spirit or your own inner self that might be telling you to do this, do that? You're no good. You'll never amount to anything. Do you hear the voices of the past? Maybe voices out of your family of origin. Do you hear critical voices? Well, John is saying, I hear the Lord Jesus Christ's voice and his voice is still ringing in my ears today. Oh, that each one of us would hear more loudly than any other voice, the voice of the Lord Jesus Christ speaking to us, ringing in our ears. Second, underline the word seen. John is saying, I saw him. I actually saw Jesus with my eyes. You and I have never literally seen Jesus with our physical eyes, but John did. This is the thing that authenticates the New Testament. Jesus was seen by eyewitnesses. Some people say, well, that must have been a hallucination. But it wasn't. It wasn't. John was there. You know, in Matthew 25, we're told that we can all see Jesus. And we sang a beautiful song about it tonight. When Jesus was talking about the sheep and the goats, he said, the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or see you thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. John, Matthew, sorry, is saying in that scripture, we can see Jesus now in each other and in Jesus's humanity but John here in 1 John is saying I literally saw him I lived with him I ate with him I worshipped with him he taught me I was so intimate with him I saw him Wow, it's just amazing. But he goes on to say, not only did he hear, not only did he see, but underline. He said, he that we and our hands have touched. Jesus had a real physical body. Now, perhaps Jesus weighed 70 kilos, it could have been more, and was 173 centimetres 
You might say, how do you know that, Gail? Well, I don't know from the Bible. It doesn't tell us. But the point is that he did weigh something and he did have some kind of physical body. And John touched him. You know, when I thought about that, I thought, Lord, what I would have given to have just touched the hem of your cloak, even from behind. I wouldn't have cared if I didn't even see your face, although that would have been amazing. But just to have touched the hem of your cloak, like the woman that was bleeding for 12 years, what an amazing thing. And this man, John, said, I touched him. I touched him. John is saying, I heard him with my ears. I saw him with my eyes. I touched him with my hands. Jesus Christ is real historically. And he is real experientially. The Christ of reality and the real deal is real experientially. Christianity is a personal experience with the Lord Jesus Christ. You and I have never seen Jesus physically. That's true. But John moved from physical nearness with Jesus to spiritual nearness with Jesus. The Bible teaches that we know him by faith. Faith becomes the eyes, the ears of the soul. Christianity is not knowing Jesus Christ in a historical sense. It is knowing Jesus Christ as a personal experience. And this same knowing is the same knowing as a man knows a woman intimately. Not the sexual side, but the intimacy of it. You know, one of the most profound things I personally have ever learned through just... I guess life and experience as well as through Jesus' instruction and as well as seeing it borne out in other people's lives is this truth. I believe this with my whole heart. All restoration of people's lives, be they broken, be they addicted, be they depressed, be they confused, be they physically unwell or conflicted is dependent upon one thing and one thing only. Knowing, deep, experientially knowing that you are loved to the depth of your being by Jesus Christ. That truth and that truth alone will transform your entire life. But you need to know it. Not here, but here my favourite scripture is Ephesians 3, 14 to 21. It's Paul's prayer for spiritual empowerment. And it talks about, may you know the love of Jesus Christ, though you will never fully understand it. May you know how wide, how long, how high and how deep his love really is. And then it says, this is the precursor, then you will have fullness of life which comes through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's how we get fullness of life when we know experientially the love of Jesus Christ. So 
why is John arguing so definitively about that which he has heard, seen and know? Why? Why is he proclaiming this? Well, it's not just to gloat or boast, although he could have. It's for one reason alone and that reason hasn't changed in 2,000 years. This week in the Border Mail, February 27th, Tuesday, 2007, it says, Jesus had a son, says filmmaker Cameron. Titanic director James Cameron's latest project is a controversial new documentary claiming Jesus was never resurrected and had a son with Mary Magdalene, according to a US report, and there's a documentary that is going to be put out about it because they've found tombs and bodies that they believe is Jesus and his son and his wife. Nothing has changed in 2,000 years. The real deal is still being challenged, is still being maligned, is still being diminished, is still being ridiculed, is still being persecuted. And John is saying we have to proclaim the real deal in our lives. We still have to today, very real today, very much today. So Christ is the Christ of reality. But Christ is also the Christ of relationship. These last two points I'm just going to breeze through. John also talks about the Christ of relationship in 1 John 1.3. He says, we proclaim to you, what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son. You know, fellowship is one of the greatest words in the Bible. The Greek word koinonia means to have in common, to share something together. It is a distinctly Christian word. You know, our world has taken the idea of fellowship and applied it to so many other things. People talk about fellowship at their club or at a party. But in the New Testament, the sense of the word is that people who know Jesus, who are born again, can really only fellowship. They can only share deep spiritual soul-to-soul fellowship through Jesus Christ. Fellowship means to share together, to enjoy the same things together. The fellowship John talks to us about is a twofold relationship with one another. So it's, vertic- it's, it's horizontal, but it's also vertical. It's fellowship with God the Father. And the only way we get into the family of God is through a new birth experience. You know, we got into our natural family when we were born physically. The only way to get into the family of God is not to be baptised into it or to join a church, although that's really great, or to get our name on a roll. We have to be born again. We have to be reborn into it. In other words, we have to surrender our natural life to Jesus as Lord and Saviour. Or, if you like, our life 
to the word of life. And if anyone tonight would know, want to know more about what it means to surrender your life to Jesus, to be born again, please don't leave here tonight before you talk to Phil or Jonathan or any other leader or, or anyone here tonight. Please don't. You know, just to give you an example of fellowship and what I'm trying to tell, uh, talk to you about is last night, yesterday afternoon, um, we, Warren and I, we, we got free movie tickets for Christmas and, and for Warren's 50th. So we really hadn't spent, we hadn't used them. So we thought we'd go 4.30 yesterday afternoon to the movies. So, so we went, there was a movie we wanted to see. And as we were coming out, it would have been about 6.30 or 7 o'clock, we literally bumped into um, a couple that attend fellowship here at this church. And that, this couple had just come out of another movie and uh, coincidentally they had been talking to this other person that they'd met and they'd been sharing about our church and, and particularly sharing um, about, believe it or not, Warren and I. And we bumped into this couple and so we were introduced to their friends and as we were walking down the stairs they said, have you had anything to eat? And we said, oh, no. And so w what happened was we ended up going and having a meal together, totally unexpected, totally unplanned. And yet as we sat around the table, we had this soul-to-soul -soul connection that we just shared. It was so natural because our connector was Jesus. And when the conversation was peppered, with the talk of our Lord, it was just such a lovely, deep fellowshipping time. Unexpected, but that's what we can do when we share in fellowship with each other. So I would encourage every one of you here that if you're not in fellowship, please get in fellowship. Join a small group. Get to know people. Go out of your way. Don't sit back and say, no one comes to talk to me. You go up and talk to someone else. Because what should fellowship look like? Well, it should look like when you're sick, there's someone to visit. When you're hungry, there's someone to feed you. When you're thirsty, there's someone to bring fresh water to you. It's about care. It's about compassion. It's about family. It's about deep soul, spiritual connection because of Jesus Christ. And I want to say one more thing about fellowship, which this is going to be hard. This is a hard thing. But I've said before, fellowship is uniquely Christian. The world has friendship. And we're to have friendship with the world. We're to be in the world, but not of the world. But you know, 2 Corinthians 6 14 says that we are not to be unequally yoked. And when they're talking about that, they're also talking about um, relationships, fellowship, but they're also talking about the person that you're going to perhaps one day marry. And I just have to say to you young people, this fellowship, is so important and a saved born again young person cannot be marrying or even dating 
someone that is not saved. And that's hard, but it's true. This is what the word is telling us. If a young woman marries an unbeliever, she's out of the will of God. How can she possibly expect the home to be what it ought to be? And vice versa. If you marry someone who doesn't love Jesus, perhaps they're a sceptic or makes fun of Jesus, you may have a lifetime of grief. Oh, we're to have friendship with those that don't know Jesus, but fellowship is a soul-to-soul connection. So if you cannot pray on a date, you ought not to have that date. If you cannot get that girl or boy to church, you ought to stop going with that person. If he or she doesn't have respect for your Jesus, you have to let him or her go. In God's own time, he will give you a good marriage partner. When I was a teenager, my best friend at school became a Christian. I never became a Christian until after I was married, in fact, until I was 27. But my best friend became a Christian. And she didn't marry a believer. She thought that she could change her husband. And 24 years later, she's got four beautiful children. Two are walking with the Lord, two are not. And her husband has finally decided he can no longer live with her because her first love is Jesus. And so he's left the marriage. I just want to say that fellowship is so important and fellowship is deep and fellowship is spirit to spirit and it matters. It matters significantly. So Christ is the Christ of relationship with each other in fellowship but also vertically with God. John says, we want you to have fellowship with the Father. How do we have fellowship with God? First of all, doesn't it just blow you away that God wants fellowship with us? I find that incredible. Well, to have fellowship with God is simple. You have fellowship with him through the Bible and with prayer. You read the Bible, God talks to you. You pray, you talk to God. The greatest experience that can come to any person in this world is through the new birth experience, being brought into the family of God and fellowship with God. The Christ we preach is the Christ of relationship with each other and with God. And finally, finally, Paul says, if you believe that Jesus is the real deal, that he is real, if you believe that Jesus is the real deal in relationship and you experience that relationship through deep fellowship with each other and with fellowship and relationship with him, then he says in verse 4, we write this to make your joy complete. Wow. Christ is the Christ of rejoicing. John says, I want your joy to be full. 
The word means to be filled full. I want you to have total joy, not one-fourth full, not one-half full. I want it full. This is another word specific to Christian life. The world has leisure, the world has happiness, and the world has fun, but joy is different. 1 Peter 1.8 says, Though you do not see him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. Made full translates as the idea of joy being permanently full. It is the beginning of joy when we begin to believe, says Luther. When faith daily increases, joy increases in proportion. The sequence of thought between fellowship and fullness of joy is significant. Fullness of joy depends on the realisation of true fellowship in Christ. The isolated and solitary Christian can never be a joy-filled Christian. You know, in winding up, I just want us to reflect a little bit on our world. Why is there so little joy? You know, our generation has more to offer than others. Entertainment, more amusements than any other generation has ever had. Yet look at the loneliness. The Bureau of Statistics in there, Is Life Getting Better for Australians in 2004, says that in all the areas of health, education, training, work, progress, economy, economic resources, national income, wealth, housing, we have continued to increase and improve. In the areas of environment, that's physical, and family, community and social cohesion, we have continued to decrease. Two main indicators for our decrease in these standards in Australia is loneliness and suicide. For people aged 15 to 24 years, the suicide rate has steadily increased from the late 18, 1980s. Sorry. Loneliness is experienced far more for men than women. Single men are the most at risk for loneliness. This could account for the higher rates of suicide in men. Happiness is generally based on outward and external circumstances. I have a good income, I'm secure, I have good friends, I'm healthy, I have happy children, etc. But Jesus talks about joy. Joy in the midst of suffering. Joy as he goes to the cross. Joy in the face of affliction. How can this be? Because joy is dependent upon a personal, intimate connection with the real deal, the creator of life, the word of life, despite our circumstances. Joy is dependent upon a deep and personal and intimate connection or fellowship with God's people. People, tonight, my prayer is that you will know him a little more deeper. That you'll love him a little more stronger. That you will know 
his people a little more deeper and that you will love his people a little more stronger so your joy will be complete. Amen.